This is a recording I just finished doing with a group of Udemy instructors talking about some of the problems we had creating our courses and also some ideas about uh, ways we can leverage our courses to uh, reach more students around the world. Udemy is an online, predominantly video platform for instructors to teach anything they want, pretty much. So if you want to teach people how to travel on the cheap or how to make podcasts like Power Podcasters like I have, how to fly remote drone planes, how to do JavaScript, how to make websites, how to play the guitar, how to do pottery, how to dance, you name it, they've probably got a course on it. And they need more. They've got about 3 million students now. Maybe it's five. And I would be not at all surprised to find out in two or three years that they have 50 million students, which all creates a really good opportunity. I thought it would be really interesting for you to listen in on a conversation that we had. It's about an hour, and it really is in two parts. One is some of the problems that we run into making sure that our programs and courses are up to Udemy's standards, let alone our own and some of the problems that you can come up against. And then the other half is, once you've made a course, is there a way you could leverage it so that even more people would want to take it? I'm not going to give away what it is. You're just going to have to listen in and find out for yourself. This is Scott Patton, the Dean of Blogonomics and Pedology, and I hope you like this very special presentation. Hello. Uh, welcome to another edition of OV Community Chat. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Udemy again tonight, and we're going to be talking about gremlins in the machine. And we're also going to be having a little discussion on creating courses in multiple languages. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag tonight, but we're going to take advantage of the members we've got on the panel. So if we can start with Eli. Eli, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your course and maybe some of the gremlins you suffered when you first started creating a course. All right. Um, my course is called um, How to Network Like a Rockstar and Gr to Grow Your Business. And basically the whole point behind it is to learn how to connect with other people in order to not just sell stuff, but also figure out what are the needs that you have. Um, it's been a great course. I've had a lot of fun with it. And I've been doing courses for almost seven years now. This is the first one that I've done on Udemy. And so switching over to a new platform, figuring out how Udemy works and all that kind of stuff was definitely a learning experience. Um, as far as gremlins go, number one, my microphone. Um, one thing about doing any kind of video, audio is more important. And that's, that was one thing I actually had problems with when I was going through the, re, the approval process. My microphone, it was before I had this stand that you see me using now, I actually had the microphone on my desk and it was just far enough away that it was actually picking up echo from the rest of the room. And that was the thing that people were like, okay, this is what needs to be fixed. Udemy came back and said the same thing. Um, that was my first real issue because I had actually gone through and done everything all in one shot. And, you know, when you record three-plus hours worth of stuff in one shot, you're exhausted. And when you go back and have to go back and redo it, it's a little frustrating, you know. Mm -hmm. So, that, and that's one thing I'll, I'll say as a, as a big warning. I mean, I could, I could talk for 20 minutes on just 
different bugs and things that I've seen. Um, but that's one thing that I do recommend is try to batch stuff, which is really powerful because if you try to do every single lecture, record it, stop it, edit it, make sure it's everything's perfect like that, that'll take you forever to do. But also figure out that in-between of where can you have stopping points. And so that's the one thing that I think that I should have done was actually recorded, say, one one section and then gone back and checked it because then it would have made it a lot easier to correct and not have to redo quite as much of it. Okay. Gisela, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the course uh, you've got and the course you're working on. And any, what was your sort of struggles when you first came to Udemy? Where was the learning curve? Where was the issues? Yeah, uh, well, my name is Gisela Echeverria. I'm a psychologist from Venezuela, currently living in Dominican Republic. And I'm also, uh, well, as a psychologist, my, my uh, strong uh, area is uh, personal development. And uh, I'm also have also been working for maybe the last 10, 12 years as a translator English Spanish and as a voiceover talent in neutral Spanish. Um, I came into Udemy about 10, 11 months ago, and um, well, started creating my first course, of course, in Spanish because it's my mother language. Uh, my course uh, translated into English would be uh, regarding uh, the, the central topic is assertiveness and um, the name of the course has to do with uh, how to uh, build and remodel your self-confidence in order to become an assertive person. I'm working on the translation of that course into English and currently I'm working in uh, two other topics uh, in English I decided, and when we talk about the, the issue, we'll, I'll say why, but um, I decided to go the other way around. Instead of doing my courses in English and then uh, in Spanish and then translate them into English, I'm doing it the other way. I'm doing these two directly into English and then I'll create the, the Spanish versions. Um, my big issue when I started uh, creating my videos was uh, finding a place in my house that would be proper to record my videos. I mean, that was key. Um, the voiceover was okay because I, I had worked with that for a long time, so it, it was no problem for me. The audio part was okay. But the video, I mean, just finding a place here in my house, a little place where to prepare my background and so forth for that. And, um, of course, uh, doing my best to do, it, it was the first time I was doing videos, so maybe another gremlin was um, learning. I had, uh, I had to go through a learning process before I actually sat down. My scripts were already, but I just, I just had to learn uh, and what would be the, the, fir the best software to use in order to... Um, to do my videos and edit them and you know all this stuff in order to be approved by, by Udemy. Um, but um, I learned and <laughs> here I am. My first course in Spanish was published last November and uh, it's up there running uh, and uh, well I'm in this New Year's challenge uh, looking forward to have my other two uh, courses now in English uh, ready by the, the end of this month. Okay, that's excellent, Gisela. Philomena, um, 
Uh, you're on. You've muted yourself. You've just unmute. Uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. So we were we were quite different because we produced like um, like Eli. You were just saying you produced a whole course. Well, we sort of basically went crazy and did seven courses at once. So there was some, and believe it or not, when we're at video background. Um, well, the biggest issue was audio for us, wasn't it? And I'll explain why it's a little bit different for us. But Phil, what was what do you remember as the biggest challenge? Um, it, it definitely was audio. I think uh, was the the biggest challenge, and I think as well it was getting into a, a flow and a system of things. And I don't suppose this is more maybe gremlins, but it was once you had a better system of operating, it worked a lot smoother. So, for instance. Mark was doing all the filming and I was doing all the editing. So I, if he made a mistake, I would say, right, when you make a mistake, stop, say, I've made a mistake, pause so that there was a long, um, so that was several seconds of silence. And then when I'm editing, I could, I could zoom in really fast to see where he's made a mistake and correct that and then make sure I corrected all the errors first and then went through and double-checked everything. So it took a little while to get the uh, the system smooth enough. I just uh, mentioned there, when Phil said she was zooming in and have a look, she would actually look at the audio track and the podcasters on the panel. I know we have two. Yeah. They'll use the same <laughs> trick, I'm sure. But when you see a pause and in audio, you know something's wrong, so Phil could go in there and edit. So that's a really good tip from Phil. So I'm just going to bring you in, Scott, now. I know you've got a lot of uh, background with podcasts and stuff, but... What for you when? Because I know you've just your course is brand new. You've just you you a Udemy babe like a week old, correct? So what was yeah. the challenge for you? The, the well, first of all, I'm Scott Patton, and then first of all, I'm Scott Patton, so I'm getting an echo, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, it might be wife trying yeah. your headphones, Scott. I think. It might be wife trying your headphones, Scott. I think. What I'll do, well, um, what speaking I'll of technology well, glitches and grammar, yeah, we was, we was technology we was, glitches. And we was laughing about this. <laughs> we was laughing about okay. Let me just see. Okay, Scott, I'm just going to bring you back on. I just muted you there. Okay, Scott, I'm just going to bring you back on. I just muted you there. Yeah. The hangout. The hangout mutes function is very hangout, tricky. Mutes Are you back, Scott? I am, and I'm still hearing the echo, and it's not me. I am, and I'm still hearing the echo, and it's not me. So I'm, I'm hearing an echo as well, and we've got people. Um, I'm hearing an echo as well, and we've got people um, putting on questions, um, commenting that they're putting hearing on questions. So this is Grenland's live. <laughs> okay, how's that? Yes, we just muted Gisela, I think. Okay, I think that yeah sounds better. <laughs> so so let me know if I crack up because the other gremlin that we have is these headsets I have used for 50 uh, hangouts with different people, and the only time I have a problem with them is when uh, Phil is on, and so I'm just going to blame her for any problems that I have with my sound, right? And my course is Power Podcasters. Uh, it's been up. For a week, I've been actually working on it uh, for three or four months because uh, I went on a trip to South America and I went to Machu Picchu and I thought, well, this would be cool. Wouldn't it be cool to do an introduction of all of my sections with Machu Picchu in the background? And most of my course is going to be screen capture. 
And so one problem that I had was that I was at Machu Picchu and I'm doing it all from memory what my sections are and I forgot one. <laughs> so <laughs> I have like seven sections and six of them have Machu Picchu in the background and one of them uh, I had to do something different with. And so that was, that was a little bit frustrating in terms of planning. Uh, and then I'm working with another very good friend of mine on a, a course for Udemy for her and we did exactly what he, uh, you guys did is we did basically seven hours, it did, uh, not that much filming, but seven hours and we got, you know, three hours of filming done and then I looked at it and it was just terrible. So And also, at that point, I really didn't know what I was doing. So I hadn't seen any other Udemy courses. I hadn't really looked at the requirements or any of those things. We just really got excited, and we really did it. And then now we're redoing the whole thing. So my advice is go watch a few highly rated, like lots of reviews, lots of five-star reviews, courses on something in your area of expertise if you, and some other area of expertise that, that you're interested in. So you get a feel for how the courses are put together and then go through Udemy's instructions. Like it says, do a test video. Well, I did a test video when I was in Ecuador on a beach. Well, of course, you can hear the waves. And <laughs> so I put it in and all of the instructors said, oh, sounds great. You've got this, that, all really good feedback. And it was just like one minute, so it didn't take a lot of time. And Udemy says, oh, there's something in the background. And I said, well, I was on the beach when I recorded it. Yeah, that's in the background get rid of it. Well, fortunately, I only did the test video to do a test video and I didn't record anything else, uh, but it was, so as you're going through this process, particularly if you're starting, is you don't know what you don't know. So take a couple courses, like Mark's or Giselle's or mine or Eli's, you know, why not do those ones first, see how we put together our courses, Mo because success is modeling success, right? And uh, you know, those other three people, not necessarily me, are ver very, very good at, at what they do, and I really highly recommend their courses. So uh, that that was a gremlin that I I think is the worst one. Is I know how to do courses because I've been training people for 10, 15 years, and then <clears throat> go and spend all this time in it. And actually, it was wrong. It wasn't that there was any way you could save it. It was all totally, totally wrong because we didn't have a strong vision of what we wanted at the end. We thought we did. Well, we did, but it was the wrong vision would be the best way to put it because we didn't know our market. We didn't understand Udemy. Okay, I just want to say hello to a couple of people that posted questions. Sebastian, who's been on the show before, and uh, Eileen says hello. Um, I know uh, I've come across Eileen from Google Plus, and I've took a course on YouTube, uh, which is very, very good. I recommend that. So hi, Eileen. Um, so really, what was interesting, as we went along the panel there, really, what we had was we had, out of the panel, three of us, it was... There was three things I think that really came up. Planning, studio background, but the most common one is the sound issue. Now, me and Phil, we own a commercial video production company, but we still struggled with some of the sound issues. And ours was a little bit different. And I briefly want to touch on this because there's two types of recording sound on a Udemy video. If you're producing a screencast-type video and you're using a podcast setup, it's relatively easy, once you know a couple of tricks, to actually 
kill any echo in the room. The two things that are going to cause problems is echo in the room and, and then floor to noise ratio, so background noise. They're the two things. With a podcast setup with a mic very close to your face, that's quite easy to control technically. But where it gets really challenging is when you're doing a headshot. That's when it gets really tough. Um, and the mic can't be here anymore. Are you with me? So now the further away you move it, as Eli said, the further away you get, the more background noise it picks up and the quieter your voice gets. And we had to go through some, we had to, because we used to sort of using high-end video equipment, but we still had to buy quite a bit of equipment to get the sound where we wanted it to be suitable for Udemy course, didn't we, Phil? Yeah, that's right, we, we did. And just to, to bring up a point that Scott mentioned about um, testing, and it, that was really important to do because we were, I, we would test a small bit and then put it into Premiere Pro to see whether it was correct or not and see whether we had to make any um, adjustments. And sometimes we might have did this uh, a dozen times, didn't we, Mark, just, just to get the, yeah, even more, just to get it correct. But it was worth doing that, um, you know, get your test um, video correct before you record anything else because it's going to save you so much time in editing. And what was one of the amazing things for us is I would say I've got about, I don't know, what, 1,500 pounds worth of audio equipment and I live in a high noise area. And what this audio equipment does, it's really high end stuff, it's, it's like TV studio equipment. And what this, this equipment does, it basically removes all the noise from the background as I record, so I don't have to do anything in post. Um, and what would be amazing, because we'd record one video, and we'd have the sound. I'd go back out and use the studio on another day, and bring the audio in without testing it on that day, give it to Phil, she'd put it in and say it's no good. And it was like, how did that even happen, you know? We, we've got like all these little buttons we haven't touched. How did that even happen? So a recommendation is every time you film, like Phil said, take an audio test, have a listen to it in an audio editor like Audacity or Audition. Um, before, Even if you think you've, you've got it the same way last time, I guarantee you get to the end. I've done it. You'll get to the end of like recording 30 minutes of video. Give it to Phil because I know the audio is correct because I haven't touched any buttons. I haven't fiddled with anything. Give it to Phil, and she's like, "No, it's wrong." So it's always—I just think that's good practice. And not Anyone? just for the audio, Mark. Also for the the visual as well. Yeah, yeah. I think Eli wanted to sort of weigh in on something. Eli, yeah. Yeah, kind of actually to go in on exactly what you're talking about, that it's not just the video, because another problem that I had was again, I was going to be the overachiever and just blast through all the video. And my course is primarily screencast, so I'm using using my Mac. I've got uh, ScreenFlow that I'm using, and I recorded all of these back to back, and then I come back and I get to module three of my course, and somehow now I use two monitors. I have my main laptop, and then I have an external monitor sitting right here. Somehow ScreenFlow switched in the middle and started recording the other monitor, so all of that was useless moving forward. So, you know, there's things like that. Glitches happen, and we don't know why. We don't know what happens. But just like what you're saying about every time you stop in any type of setting, stop, do a quick check, just make sure. 
And that was something, I'm fairly new to a Mac. I've been a PC guy for years, and as of October, I switched to Mac. So I'm still kind of getting the flow of it, and ScreenFlow is different than Camtasia. I've used Camtasia for years. Camtasia is a wonderful program, especially on PC, because it has these wonderful little outlines that show you exactly what's being recorded. If I had had those, it would have been great, because then I would have known, wait a minute, it's over here. When it was supposed to be over here, I need to fix that before I moved on. But I didn't. And so I did all of this, I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, great, you know, and I have to start all over with it. Um, so stop and break things up into those smaller sections, just test them, you know, just do a 30-second or one-minute test, stop it, go back and see what's going on. And then, you know, like if you're doing a talking head type of, type of thing, even like what we're talking about here, um, one thing that's great is having... You know, get a lapel mic. They're super, super cheap, and they're, they're going to make a big difference for you as opposed to trying to have a microphone, you know, just aimed at you from a distance. That'll definitely help from that from that standpoint. But again, with what Scott said to begin with, watch other classes that people are doing because I think those other courses are going to give you a lot of ideas. And if you're just starting out, one of the things that I will highly, highly recommend is don't... Don't make things overcomplicated. If you're trying to do a talking head style, which is basically like what we have right here, everybody's in front of the camera. Um, if you're trying to do that and you don't have a place to do it, and you're not sure if the quality is just right and the right the word or the lighting is just right, if your topic would be okay for a screencast style, then start with that. You can always make it better down the road. And that's one thing that I find a lot of people, and I see even some of the conversations going on in the, the Facebook group with people who are taught, they kind of overanalyze and they try to make everything perfect before they actually even start their course. And some of these guys have been part of the Udemy community for over a year and still don't have a course up yet. Don't worry about perfection because it will never happen. Gremlins will always show up. They will always screw things up. You will always have headaches and get frustrated. That's just technology. The deal is how you deal with it and how you go, okay, that's okay. It's not perfect, but here's how we can fix it and just move on with it. And then you can always, the great thing about our courses is we have them. I'm already looking at things. I mean, now I've essentially recorded my entire course twice, and that was before it even went live. It's only been live for a little little over a week itself. It's, it's, I think Monday will be two weeks now. And, but I've already recorded it twice because of the gremlins that I had. I'm already thinking of things I can do to make it better. And you kind of keep, keep that in mind, that it's never going to be perfect. You can always make it better, and you're always going to be wanting to improve on it anyway as you get more experienced. I think there's some excellent points there. There's a lot of good points in there. I want to just draw out a couple of them. It's very, very easy to replace a video. So you might have one video you've recorded. Um, it's, all you've got to do is edit content on that and uh, edit the content. You can upload a new video and replace that video. So mm -hmm. very easy to replace it after that. And Mark, the other thing... clarify what you mean is um, uh, maybe an individual lecture. That's what you're sorry, saying. yes. When you actually create a Udemy training course, each lecture can be replaced. So you can start with something simple and go from there. And when you, when you do a headshot, one of the things... Um, uh, I've got my own how to create a Udemy course on, on Udemy and it goes into the lighting and the sound, all the technical stuff. But one of the things I'm going to add, uh, hopefully, next week if I get a chance, is actually show people what you can do with a C920 in a backdrop. Uh, so a C920 is, uh, what's the make of it? Uh, uh, the webcam. 
Is it Logitech? Logitech, the Logitech C920. It's the one everyone recommends for stuff. So I'm just going to I'm going to show what that actually looks like as you know as high quality video. So what you can do with a fifty dollar a uh, fifty pounds uh, web. Does it look like this? I think it looks very, very similar to that. I think you've got exactly mm -hmm. the same one. Yes, that's it. That's the one. So I'm actually going to shoot yeah. that next week and show people what that actually looks like. But there was, a, there was something else you brought up, Eli, and we know in marketing terms it's called, uh, sorry, in, in when you're creating digital content, which is really what we're discussing here, it's called the minimum viable product. Have you heard of that mm -hmm. term? Yeah, yeah so MVP. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're familiar with that, the minimum viable product. Um, do you want to just jump in on that, explain that concept to people? Yeah, um, the MVP, Minimum Viable Product, is basically don't worry about it being per perfect. You want to get what can you put out that's deliverable that will add value, that people will, will like. And so as an example, you can even use like stuff that's going on on Kickstarter. You know, the, a lot of the crowd crowdfunding type of projects out there, they're saying, okay, here's what we want it to be and here's how we want it to look. They're getting it out there. They're getting backed by people to basically show value, and then they're putting out something, and nine times out of ten, it's not perfect. It's got bugs, and all those customers come back and go, okay, here's the problem with it, and then they make a better version of it. And with creating courses, this is the best thing in the world because it's not like you're putting fifty or $100,000 into a physical product. You're putting, you know, you may put 50 hours into it, depending on how big your course is and how complicated and how much time you spend on it. But you're putting in your time to create this course, knowing that it's not going to be great. It's not going to be perfect. I'm going to say great, um, but not perfect, because everything we do, that we're always going to learn a better way to do something. And so get out there and just do what's going to be the minimum that you can do that's going to be amazingly great as far as people are going to look at it and go, that's awesome. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know you can make it better. But guess what? 90% of your customers don't. And that's a, that's a blessing and a curse because the fact that you can't take advantage of the fact that they don't know better, but you do want to take advantage of the fact that you can get something out there and then you get feedback from them on how to make it better. And that's one of the things I see other instructors doing, and I'm, I'm kind of, now that I'm starting to get some more people in my course, I'm doing the same thing and putting out there saying, hey, okay, what can I do to make this better? How can I improve this? I've got people, especially I've got other people who are experts in the networking world that I'm interviewing for my course to add more content, so that's one thing that I'm doing. And even Scott and I did this this last week. He interviewed me for his course as a fellow podcaster, so now we're adding that extra extra content to our course to try to make it better but those guys that are other networkers I'm doing the same thing and saying hey by the way I want you to go through the course I want you to check it out and am I missing something because I know these guys are rock stars too so if I can learn if I can bring something in that that I didn't miss or that I didn't catch that I missed initially I can take that and go okay yeah now I need to shoot another lecture and so that's the great thing about MVP is you put it out there with the concept of good enough is good enough. You know it can be better, but is it good enough that people are going to see the value in it? And it's like you you release you release your course that's going to actually give someone enough value to actually you know to to get what they need done. But as time goes on, you deep you 
you deepen the maybe the the breadth of content, not necessarily the depth because the depth's there, but the breadth of the content can be increased. Mm -hmm. Or you can start as a course as a basic course, and then it becomes intermediate, and then it becomes professional, always retaining those three levels. So there's lots of ways you can increase the course. I wanted to come back to Gisela's issue though, if we if if we can, because she said something very interesting at the beginning when she talked about her problem was finding a suitable location. So. Gisela, you know, you had this issue of trying to find a spot in the house. Um, so, what what did you find out in the end? How did you sort of solve that? Uh, just unmute yourself, Gisela. Uh, you just um, let me just see if I can unmute you from my end, Gisela. Uh, uh, just unmute yourself, Gisela. Should be at the top. It says mute microphone. If you scroll to the top and hang out. Okay. Are you able to unmute her, Mark? Because I think you got mm. to mute her earlier. Uh, no, it's mine's grayed out. So okay. Can I just bring some um, comments in while Gisela yeah. tries to um, unmute herself? Yeah, unmute yourself. We've um, yeah, we've okay. Few, um, okay. Now I'm in. Am I in? Back. Okay. Yes, I just clicked on the little red button there, so I guess I had to do it um, because I do it in Skype when I'm off. So I figured it out. Anyway, um, I did a lot of trial and errors, like finding a good spot uh, in the house. But uh, what I did is that. Um, I have a little room at the back of the house. It's a very small room. It's not uh, very comfortable, but it's the one I had. So I kind of prepare a little place there uh, that has a background in in white. And um, I I really don't. I, it's a personal thing. I don't like the background all in white. It, it, I think it's impersonal. I think that I want a little green thing, you know. So I put a little, uh, you know, plant. Uh, beside me and this type of thing. I arranged the uh, scenario before I, I did the, the recording. And well, again, I, I did. Uh, I did some. I went to through some trial and errors until I, I think I got it uh, right in this. Uh, well, I had to buy uh, lights. I got a couple of those professional lights in Amazon, and I got my good lights in order to to have a good uh, video. You know the light and the video and so forth. You know, um, until I got it. Uh, and I think. I and think one, one thing I. Yep, Karen Shella. Well, I just wanted to 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 ask a question more than than just a comment and a question uh, concerning the the background of the audios. I hear that, for example, Scott uh, said, uh, "Well, a lot of people like the the background. You know, the the sea." Um, the the sound of the waves, but you didn't didn't like it, so I, he had to take it off. Uh, I don't know. I I think um, it, you know, like um, making everybody happy, it's kind of difficult. And uh, in my personal opinion, I mean, for example, in my courses where I have classes where I tell a story, I always put a very soft background music, and I think it sounds great. At least I do. I understand that some people find it distracting, but if, if again, if, if it's a very soft 
um, background, really background music. I think it's fantastic. I don't know what you guys think about that. It's actually a common trick in the... Uh, if you can just mute yourself, Gisela, because I'm getting a little bit of echo. Um, Sorry, I'll do it quickly. It's okay. What it, yeah, so just getting a little bit of echo there, Gisela. Um, what it is actually a common trick in, in, in video, and in even in, music, in movies and, and TV, there's a lot of time, rather than deal with noise, what they do is they add a little bit of background music. We do it all the time. So we get a little bit of noise in the background of an audio, because we're on site, we can't stop background noise. Now we're listening and we try and record in between background noise, and you know we our favorite one is the RAF flying over. We had that I get that regularly here when I'm recording in studio. Um, as, as we've joked before, Biggles, if anyone's from the UK and about my age, I remember the book called Biggles, and I always say Biggles is flying over again today, which is very frustrating. Nothing you can do about that. I've got a semi soundproof studio. Jet fighter flies over. <laughs> You know that 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 soundproof is gone. It's blown away. Um, but other than you know my this is my pet pain. You can f feel it. I hope um, jet fighters flying around my house, circling it. Don't know why they're doing that. But um, but one of the common things you can do is put a gentle bit of music in the background. But the, the key with that is is to match the mood and the tone of the video you're actually producing. When you do that, it's really, really important. So I'm going to ask Phil just to sort of comment on that little technique. Um, yeah, it is, uh, as you said, Mark, it all depends on what type of um, mood you're trying to sort of portray. Uh, I think maybe with some Gisela courses, there's a, maybe a, a calmness she's trying to come across in some of the, the courses. Uh, with us, it's if it was working with a client that was a bit more upbeat, we would use something a bit more upbeat and um, lively. If it was something a bit more serious, we'd go for a slower tone. So it all depends on the on the tone and everything that you're after. And there's some great sites out there that you're able to find music that you can download. Uh, you usually have to just watch out for music licenses, and you can purchase some um, uh, pretty good tracks. I think for like $39.99. Um, um, you can get some free ones on on YouTube as well. So you just have to sort of look around, but um, you do have to purchase uh, licenses so that you're not uh, you know breaking any laws or whatever. And just to clarify, when Phil says find on YouTube, it's actually a free YouTube audio library. So it's a YouTube resource which they supply, and they're commercially free audio uh, tracks. So you, anybody can use them for their projects. And they've got quite a few pieces of music on there. So if you're looking for some music, but typically it's removing background noise and floor to noise ratio, they can be the issues. Now, obviously, we also want to just talk about something I know we're all fascinated with. So you've come to Udemy, um, you've got your course, you produced it in English or in Spanish or whatever, um, but then there's a massive marketplace potentially in other languages. So, you know, how do we sort of feel about it? I want to bring Scott in on this. Um, how do we sort of feel about that? How do we? How, how do you see that, Scott? Well, I, th I think it's an awesome opportunity that we're missing out. We've got a huge number of English speak. We're obviously English speakers, so we have a huge number of English speaking students. 
But there's a lot of places like Europe where you've got all these different languages, South America where there's Portuguese and Spanish predominantly being spoken, that we're missing out. So there's, I mean, billions of people speaking other languages. So what I want to do with my courses, because they're mostly screen capture, is find people that are uh, native Spanish or Portuguese, French, German, Chinese that are willing to work with me to create a new course. Okay, so I've just, okay, carry on, Scott. I just lost you there for a sec. Okay, you were just saying uh, about yeah. finding someone that was Chinese and that's right. For so people. yeah, so I'm looking for people that are, can be and I actually found someone who's fluent in French and Spanish, who's a really good friend of mine, who said, "Oh, absolutely, I'll." He's taking my course, and then afterwards we're going to sit down and and see how we were going to work out that process, but. If you spent all this time to create the video, why wouldn't you spend a little bit more time to make it available to another group or other groups of people? And I think the idea of closed captioning, which originally was just like for deaf, I was I only thought of it in terms of deaf people. But if there's parts where you're talking head, why not have underneath you uh, the Spanish version or the Chinese version or the Korean version or the Japanese version? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So you can take one course and turn it into 50 easily, and now you're really looking after those markets. Mark, we just had um, a comment um, in the panel um, from Sebastian. Um, guys, would you take into consideration hiring someone who will translate your courses? So I think Scott, that's what you're you're sort of saying. You're Absolutely, to, yes. You're trying to find somebody um, that's going to be able to do that. And have you done that already yet? No, I'm in the process of of beginning that that step. And I'm, the first ones will be French and Spanish because I have a really good friend that's willing to do that and and is fluent in both those languages. And I think it's important to take baby steps before you take. Uh, huge steps like when I do when I did my course I actually did each lecture and got it finished before I went on to the next lecture because I was just so concerned about how am I going to keep track of these files and I did a separate um, sound recording from my my video recording and I had to put them together and it was a little bit of fiddling and so it's this is the same thing it's like do do I'm gonna get him to do one lecture and then we're gonna talk about it because I don't know what he said if it's Spanish, I don't understand Spanish, right? So did he say the right thing? So we need to make sure that he's understanding it properly before he's going to try and communicate it to the Spanish people because he could be saying something totally wrong and I would never know. We publish it and then they comment in Spanish and I don't know what they're saying. So uh, we want to do like one lecture, then, okay, what did you think this meant, right? Sounds good. And then, yeah, this was yeah. it. Great. Well, and, we, and I we, we have some clients that we've um, uh, that they've got different languages that we had to do videos for. Um, so they come and they actually record it in Polish. So we had to sort of uh, trust what they were what they were saying. And when I was when I had to edit it, uh, there was a part at the end. I thought I need to edit this, and but I don't know what they're actually saying. Fortunately, exactly. I had a Polish friend <laughs> who said, yes, you're able to cut it there and do the transition and that's going to work out fine. Uh, and another point about translations is uh, sometimes there's different dialects and probably um, Gisela can comment more on that because you you have to pick the dialect that's most common in that country possibly you're trying to target. 
and yeah, I just wanted um, to. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna. I'm gonna open Gisela up in a minute I, because I know she's got a lot to say about this. this. Um, in fact, Gisela, um, why don't you sort fact, of weigh Gisella, in now? Um, well, yes. Um, as a translator, I've been working, as I mentioned, uh, as a translator for, for quite a while, as a freelancer. And uh, I think in, in the field of translation, there are a lot of things. You know, there are, you can choose a menu of things. But I think that it's key to choose a person who does not translate literally in any language. Otherwise, it, it, it can, it, the meaning of the resulting uh, phrase or paragraph could be totally different. I see it all the time in movies. Sometimes when I watch a movie, like in English, with subtitle in Spanish, I say, well, thank God I know English. Because the subtitles, I mean, sometimes they are absolutely terrible. And sometimes the phrases I read say, well, I mean, you see the, you hear because you know the language, the person saying something and what you read is totally different. And I've seen it all the time. So as it happens in movies, it also will happen in our courses, you know, and or, or in whatever, or in a book, for example, when I've translated books and so forth. Because the key thing is, is, is to find a, a person uh, that knows the, the language he's going to translate it from enough so that he or she can understand what the phrase means because the words can change and if you translate literally then it, it, it can go all the way wrong you know it's it's um, and of course um, in, uh, in the uh, websites there are a lot of websites that offer that offer freelancing uh, uh, translations and you can find anything there uh, so be very careful to choose a professional person to who you would trust after you start working with that person you'll just have to build trust with that person to know that what that person is translating for you it's um, it's worthwhile and it's trustworthy Gisella, that's just, very important in the in the case of Gisella, I just wanted to ask you. There's different um, types of video that can be translated different ways. There's dubbing. There's voiceover. So can you just quickly touch on some of the differences there? Yeah, the um, when you do the voiceover, you you um, mute you mute the voice of the person and on the. Uh, the you just um, put there uh, the voice in Spanish, the voice of the voiceover talent. For example, in my case, if I do a voiceover, uh, the voice of the original person it's it's totally off, and I'm just talking there. the 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 public would see just would hear just my voice. Overdubbing is you have the background. The in the background you have the voice of the person. Uh, and then your voice is on top of it. That's why it's called overdub. That's that's how I understand it, at least. So, and I like it. I like it more that way, myself. But again, we go back to what we said uh, concerning the music. There are a lot of people that say that find it distracting and would prefer just to have it in the language they are going to listen to. Um, 
there and uh, I have, for example, I have worked with people who had uh, who had who decided to have not only not only the voice but also the subtitles in in my case in Spanish for the hearing impaired and this type of thing. So it's um, it depends on what the person chooses to do. Okay, Mark, we got we got a. Uh, question as well from the panel that just obviously fits in. Does Udemy have a record somewhere of how many students they have in each country so we know which languages will be cost effective to um, do closed captions for? So, does anybody know anything? I want to comment on that. Jump in, Scott. All right, because I've been giving this a little bit of thought, right? And if you want to be successful in Udemy, you need to have your course approved by Udemy. You can actually have your course live, but they just won't show it anywhere, and you can send people and, and, and get students that way if you wanted to. But the ideal is to be found by Udemy as a competent course that they'd be happy to advertise and do promotions with and everything else. And so what I've noticed is a lot of what we call remarketing, where you go somewhere and then everywhere else you go, you see an ad for wherever you were, right? So if you went to Amazon and you looked for a hammer, the next thing you know is you're on some totally irrelevant site, but there's an ad for a hammer. And I see Udemy doing this a lot. So here's the thing. Let's suppose that there are eight Spanish language courses on Udemy. I know there's probably more, but let's just pretend there's almost none. Should you do the course? Absolutely. Why? Because Udemy wants to break into other languages. They want to have good courses to give and get a good reputation with, say, the Spanish-speaking populations of the world. And they're going to find Spanish-speaking sites where they can advertise your course. And if you're one of only eight, then you're going to get a way more exposure than if you're one of 800,000 courses. So my, my, that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited. I'm thinking, wow. And when you look at podcasting in particular, it's all consumed in North America and Europe and then the main population centers of Australia. There's very little con consumption of in China, very little in India, very little in South America, very little in Africa. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that if you live in any of those places and you do an English language podcast, you have a great chance of being picked up by somebody in North America and and then and whatever your purpose of your podcast is, you go from there. And that's kind of the reverse of what I'm talking about. So we're creating these great courses, and Udemy is saying, well, how can we get, break into the Brazilian market? How can we break into uh, you know, the Chinese market? How can we break into the German market? Uh, all these markets you know, that, that are, are very lucrative. So I look at it and say, well, the way to do it is to create language your course in those languages so Udemy has the content to be able to make it worthwhile for because they already know how to do it in English how hard is it to do it in Spanish and Portuguese and German and Chinese and all the rest of it they just need to get a translator and then they're gonna put ads all over the place and drive traffic to you so I think of it as a great ground floor opportunity something I wanted to suggest as well is that one of the things we can do in Udemy is we can add uh, someone else as an instructor to our course. So if you've got no budget and you want your course produced in 
five languages, you can actually get someone to sign up as an instructor, add them to your course, and you can decide between you how much of that course they can earn from. And you think about it, it's you've already produced a course. Now, they've got to go away and do a lot of work now on translating that course, but if they can be shown a share of revenue, you know, that's just a model, I think, maybe to put out there and to share with people because, you know, you can make money. You can, you know, that way, there's no immediate cost to you. Someone else benefits. It's still your course. You're still in control. I will give more than 50% away. You decide how much you're going to offer. But that's one way of producing, you know, getting the yeah. course. In. And then it becomes more than one course, isn't it, Scott? It's more than yeah. one course. I got to jump in here because, and that's my, my plan, is to find somebody 50, let's just make it really simple, you do the translation 50-50, you're a co-instructor. Why would I do that instead of paying somebody three bucks an hour in India to translate it into Spanish, right? Uh, obvious reasons in terms of quality because they don't speak Spanish in India. But uh, what, what happens is I'm going to get a Spanish question. How am I going to... Now, I know I can go to Google Translate and everything else, but Gisela made a great point. Like, because I have some friends, because I was in South America, who are Spanish, and the way we communicate is I translate their Spanish into English, and they translate my English into Spanish, and I'll tell you, we understand 25% of what the other person said. I'm constantly, no comprendo, no comprendo, right? Because I know that what they meant was not what I got out of the translation. So if this person has spent five or ten hours going through my course translating a two, two or three hour course, I know because they know the course. How can you not know the course? Because we'll be going back with questions because like, you know the meaning that really don't translate. Okay, I'm losing you there, Scott. What I'm going to do, pop across to Eli, then and I'm going to open to shell it back up. Um, we're just losing your audio there, Scott. I think we're losing your signal. Eli, did you want to just weigh in before I pop back to Gisela? Because I know Gisela's got a lot of personal experience of translating. So I yeah. want to get some thoughts. Yeah, I have a couple of things to talk about. Um, one thing is we go back to, to one thing that Gisela said that I want to want to kind of reiterate before we kind of lose it completely is the question about some people are not, you're not, you're never going to make people happy. Somebody's going to be upset no matter what. That's one thing that you do need to across the board, especially when you're working on making your course, you know, the gremlins and all that kind of stuff, keep that in mind. You're always going to have somebody who's going to complain about something. Don't stress about it. Stop and look at it objectively and say, okay, is this a valid point or is this something that somebody just doesn't like that style? Because as a perfect example, um, people, I had people when I did my test video, I had a couple people say, well, we don't, we don't like the, the video being screencast style. You really need to do a talking head. You need to be in front of the camera. People learn better with that. Well, that's perfectly fine, except that's not how I want to do the course. And quite honestly, I'm not comfortable doing an entire course that way. I've done it before and it just wasn't my, my favorite way to do it. And so was it valid? Yes. But I was okay with it not doing that. So always keep in mind, I just wanted to come back to that. I mean, I know that was like 10, 15 minutes ago, but I wanted to, to say something on it before it goes away, is that as you're building your course, you are going to have people who don't like something about it. Stop and try to just look at it objectively and decide, is this something that's worth moving on to, and if it is, then, then you know, that's a way, that's a way for you to increase the quality. If not, don't worry about it. Move on. 
Um, and then to go back, you know, move back forward to what we're talking about right now, um, Sue's question about the how to find out where students are coming from as far as for closed captioning and stuff. One of the things that I found, and I actually looked this up just this morning, is I've got my I've got Google Analytics installed on my course, so I can actually see what's going on. And literally this morning, I looked. Um, at the stats because just to kind of see what's going on and I don't remember what exactly was there but I do remember that in these last two weeks since I put the course up there I've been visited by over 74 different countries for my for my landing page so now I know okay I can go back and go okay well I've got this one country down here I only got three people yeah, that's probably not worth it to do a translation there yet. Maybe, but not yet. But, you know, here, these three countries are all English-speaking, um, or here in the United States, we call it redneck-speaking. And we've got, you know, obviously that's common, but then we have what's our secondary language. Okay, that might be worth it. And so in making sure that you install analytics and it's very very easy to do you get get account with Google for Google Analytics you can copy a little chunk of code stick it on there and then now as you're getting visitors to your landing page you can see who's coming to your page and see okay well I have these countries should I stop and look at doing a translation for Spanish and of course there is you know Mexican Spanish versus Spanish you know there is a difference between the two and there's other dialects as well so we're What's going to be the best fit based on just people that are coming to your personal course? Because that's the most important thing. Not just how many people are on Udemy altogether, but how many are actually looking at your course and saying, oh, this sounds like a great course, except for the fact that I don't understand what he's saying, so I'm going to have to move on. You know, that's where that possibility would come in. So that was where I wanted to kind of pop in with that little tidbit of information. That's an excellent tip. Thanks for that, Eli. Yeah, I've got analytics installed on mine. I never even thought of looking at that. Um, really, really important. The other thing is the pricing as well. So say like your course is really popular in India. So if you're going to do an IT or tech course, you're probably going to find it's going to be India. And you want to think about your pricing at that point as well. You know, because I know I know there's this temptation to price it for the American and the European markets. You know, a course at 300 400 $500. But when you're pitching to a market, you need to know what the price point is because that could be a month's income. So when you're creating these courses in different languages, it might also be worth looking at thinking about different price points for those market sectors. Now, I well, want to bring... One thing, just to, just to finish up on that, one of the things Udemy is looking at, Mark, is having country-specific pricing because they've mm -hmm. said exactly that. Like, we have a lot of people from India taking a lot of our courses and to price it at... You know, a hundred dollars might be out of out of reach of two million uh, people in India who want to take your course. So why don't we, you know, have a, a course level that's appropriate for for the different countries? So I th I think that's great. I'm hoping that they make it so that we can um, set our own prices for our own countries using their you know guidelines and. And, and stuff because that would be really cool. And I know when you do apps, you ha if it's a paid app, you have a choice of prices for different countries if you so choose. That would be that would be a good feature. Now, what I'm going to do, just Mark, I'm going to give you Mark, five can I just bring some comments in, please? Actually, yes, there was one I wanted to quickly mention, Phil, before I bring Priscilla back in, and it was Eileen's, and I really liked um, yeah. Eileen's, and she said something. Uh, remarketing can be annoying. Yesterday, I purchased a washing machine. And now it follows me wherever I go, even on my own blog. <laughs> I feel the same way. 
<laughs> so thanks for that, Eileen. That made me chuckle. And, um, and another one from Eileen was um, there is some translation standards that are being developed uh, for the industry, and she supplied a link that we can oh, include good. in the notes um, as well on that. Um, okay, so let me just let's, uh, let me just uh, okay, yep. Yeah, and we've had um, Sebastian said he's um, installed Google Analytics on on his course, so I think people um, probably agree with um, what Eli was saying about um, Google Analytics um, to have that um, installed. I think that might be us somewhat up to date with the. Um, yeah, I just want to give Gisela a chance to sort of weigh in for five minutes because she's got the most sort of actual experience when it comes to uh, background, so uh, translating. So if you can just unmute yourself, Gisela. And uh, I'll just hand it over okay, to you. Okay, hello. And, uh, I'll just hand it over to you. Yeah, there's a lot of things to say, really. Um, answering Scott's uh, question or the, the comment, uh, adding to the comment, Concerning, um, once you translate your course, then you, what are you going to do with the students asking questions in that language? And that's very important, because how are you going to get there? I think that definitely, in my experience, it's important that the person you hire, uh, if it's a friend, well, great, because you have, you'll have your friend there all the time. But um, if you hire a person who is willing to go with you, to walk with you through to the future, uh, to be there for you, um, helping you and assisting you with the questions. I have two clients that I do that with. Uh, one um, in, is in the United States and the other person is in Australia. And what I do is that for the Australian lady, I do the translation and voiceover of her uh, YouTube channel she has there. And of course, she gets a lot of questions, and uh, what she does, what I do is that on and off, I check uh, the questions on the in Spanish, and I get to her if I can answer it, because by now I've been working with her for about a couple of years, and I can answer the question. Her look, so and so asked this question, and I answered this, or if you want to add up to that, and so forth. So I kind of go with her and. Um, um, you know, like a sister, a sister in that. Uh, with the uh, North American uh, people I'm working with, that is the translation and voiceover of some educational uh, they have on breastfeeding, uh, uh, their clients write them emails. So when their clients write them emails in Spanish, they forward it to me, and I translate it for them. They answer it, and I translate the translation, and that they mean their their response. So we kind of uh, I'm, I'm there for them uh, to support them in the questions and answers for their students or their people who are using their product in Spanish in this case, right? Okay. So another thing about um, this this Udemy language thing, it, something I really surprised with and. Uh, Maybe some people would be surprised with that. When I started in, in, in Udemy 10, 11 months ago, I thought Udemy only had courses in English and Spanish, and I was dead wrong. When I went a little bit of research on Udemy, I, find that I found out that Udemy offers courses in nine languages. Okay? English, I'll read them for you. English, Spanish, 
Portuguese, French, German, Japanese, Chinese, Russian, and Turkish. And this was an interview that was made to one of the leaders, top managers of Udemy back in 2013. And he said back then that they were soon be adding up Korean and in Hindi. And that was uh, two years ago. So I guess they already added that, those, and maybe they have added some more. Um, now, I do find that most of the courses, uh, I mean, the, the growth, the big thing of the courses in, in uh, Udemy are in English. Second, Spanish. And uh, people, uh, everybody can check when, when you find, and I think that would be, kind of, I found out very interesting things, but it's kind of a market for you. If you go to the left side where you see the courses and you go, get into the courses and you look for your niche or your topic and you open, let's say, any topic, you would find down there Udemy tells you how many courses they have in the different language, languages. So you can see, well, you know, my course, uh, there are 25 courses of my topic in English, like 10 in Spanish, and one in Chinese, and three in Turkish, for example. So you know where uh, the thing is moving there. And I, I really, um, I was thinking about something that really called my attention. When, when you get into finding out what are the most spoken languages in the world, the first one is Mandarin, okay? But, of course, the survey that they, that, that they use to do this, they compare it with the population. The biggest population of, of the world is Chinese. So, of course, it's, it's kind of a logical thing that the most spoken language of the world compared with the number of, of people in the planet of using that language would be Chinese, Mandarin. The second one is English. They even have uh, numbers for that, you know. For Mandarin, they have one, one billion people speaking Mandarin. English, 500 and, 508 million people. Then Hindi in the third place. It's interesting because five years ago, Spanish was second in, that, in the list, you know. Uh, Spanish uh, has, only Spanish has almost 400 uh, no, more than that, because if the population of the of the world it's uh, it's seven point something billion or something like that uh, we have in the planet, uh, Spanish speakers uh, are about seven percent or a little bit less. That would be like over four hundred million people speaking Spanish in the planet. So, okay, that's 400 and something million people you can offer your courses to, as there are a lot of million in German and so forth. Gisela, what one have, thing is... Gisela, what we're going to have to do is yes. we're going to have to wrap up because we've run out of time, I'm afraid. Um, so what okay. I think we can do is we can pick the subject up in another community hangout. And um, okay, I think we've great. just touched on the service. We'll come back to this, and we'll have you back on to discuss that in much greater depth. But what I wanted to do 
wanted to do. If you just mute yourself, Gisela, because I've still got some echo from your speakers. Uh, what I wanted I'll to do is give people like, a closing, okay, okay. A closing thought. Um, you know, what's this sort of inspired you with to, to that? Do you, do, do you get me? What's this made you think? Because we know it's when we exchange these ideas that we start to, uh, we all start to think about different things and different markets and it, it's obvious there's massive opportunities out there and it might be getting in on the ground floor now etc so what, what sort of things is this sort of thought about you and your course and where you might go with this Eli if you could start because you're on my left um, you know number one is I've already as far as like the the translation piece I'm already in the process of working on doing closed captions that's the first step for me uh, for mine so we are working with that and and I am working with a company that that's what they do for a living. It's not even like a, a Fiverr guy or anything. I'm actually hiring somebody to do this. And I think it's going to be a really powerful way to see what that next step is, to, to see how well that changes. Because I know that even just the basic closed captioning of our courses is one step. And obviously, just take that one piece at a time. And for somebody who's just starting out, by the way, if you're not quite there yet, don't stress about this stuff. You know, worry about just getting your course up and running and then, you know, get a little bit of traction on it, get a little bit of money, you know, get it going and then take the next step because that's one thing I really want to warn everybody of is we gave a lot of information today and especially with the, let's talk about how to fix gremlins and video and how to do all that kind of fun stuff with making sure your audio sounds good and, and then we turn around and went into the whole you know, converting to different languages and closed captioning and overdubbing, and now we've got all these other terms. I think that some people will turn around and go, oh, well, I'm overwhelmed now and freak out and do nothing. So I want to give everybody a word of warning on that. Just all the stuff we talked about for, like, the second half of the, today's hangout, if you're not there yet, don't stress about it. Take that next month. Don't worry about it. The great thing about this is you can come back, you can watch the recording of this session later on because Mark's an awesome guy and he puts up the, the videos up there for us. So you can come back and listen to this piece later. Today, just make sure you get something up there, get something recorded, whether you're doing screencast, whether you're doing a talking head type of thing, whatever. Try to make sure your audio sounds halfway decent. I mean, I think that just start there and then go to the next step. That's great, Scott. Could you, um, you know, what's what's this sort of made you think about? You know, what's I know you always you was already inspired and passionate about that second half, but did, it, did anything in the hangout? What was the sort of thing that stood out for you? Well, I love Gisela because she pointed out you can find out how many courses are in other languages. So I just checked, and and I was shocked. Like there was one in Dutch, and there was one in in German, and there was one in Portuguese, and there was four in Spanish and there was 300 in English and I just thought oh yeah like this is really really exciting and I'm gonna push forward with it a little bit faster than I might have otherwise because before it was like I don't know but now it's like wow like there's a real opportunity here because I can also price those courses like we were talking about pricing in terms of, of um, the markets and in India in particular well if I can get it translated into Hindi then I can offer it at a what the person in India suggest, who does the translation suggests would be a reasonable price, and so that's uh, so all that thing has really got me, you know, expanded my whole world a lot. Thank it's you, pretty Scott. exciting. Um, Philomena, 
Um, yes, um, I, I would follow on, um, agree with uh, what Eli is saying about don't worry. It's you know, you know, make a stake in the sand and just get something out there. Um, and with the timescales, when you're planning things, you think, oh, I'm going to get it done within this week, two weeks, whatever. You know, you there's always gremlins. There's always things that go wrong. You've got to re-record things. Um, expect it to happen, and you won't be frustrated and disappointed when it does happen. And expect delays. So then you're managing um, your your timescale, so you're not sort of uh, uh, frustrated. So I don't know whether we mentioned, but um, there's a free program out there called Audacity where you can um, get background noise removed from your audio because there's likely to be always some background noise happening in your audio and that's some free software. You'll have to Google how to do that but certainly by all means um, do that because I know we talked um, a lot about audio earlier and I, I don't know whether we mentioned um, Audacity, that free program and um, what that can um, do for you. And obviously I agree with uh, what Scott's saying as well, there's some exciting um, um, things coming up with some um, possible language uh, translations and a whole market there possibly. And Gisela, if you can unmute yourself and just give us your closing thoughts on, you know, where what what you found sort of what you inspiring tonight. Inspiring tonight. Um, well, inspiring for me is that I have a lot of work to do in the future. Maybe help a lot of instructors and assist them in, in getting their courses in Spanish. But as a closing statement, I do want to, um, to share with you something I found out in this interview they did uh, to Mr. Yang. Uh, his name is exactly, let me see, De Dennis Yang. He's the President and Chief Operating Officer of Udemy. And back in 2013, he said this, As an instructor, you could already have created courses in other languages but the site did not provide as good of a marketing platform for instructors targeting those other languages as it will now, back two years ago. We think this will unlock the potential for a lot more foreign language content to be created. So yes, I think there is, I mean, there are a lot of, how, how we say, close to cut here, a lot of things that we can talk about in other things that I, um, that I have found, but yes, I think there is a huge opportunity for all instructors to consider having our courses in, a, in other languages. It's well. Mark, you're muted. I just wanted to reiterate what uh, Eli was saying because we, we really had a show of two halves tonight, and we, we discussed that in the green room. Um, whether it worked or not, you'll decide. We've got the sound for people that are new. You know, you're new. The biggest issue you're going to have is sound. Don't be discouraged. Battle through. You'll get there. Everyone does. And when you to me refuse your course, don't get annoyed at them. You know, um, <laughs> the temptation is like, how dare you? How dare you refuse my nine months of work? <laughs> <laughs> or you know how that you know the temptations there, but what will actually happen if you look at it positively? They'll push you to a really high standard. They, me and Phil, come from a video production background, and they kicked a couple of hours back, and we're like, 
how dare you kick our stuff back? You know, we produce commercial quality video, but their audio standards are actually some of the highest in the industry. You know, maybe not some of the older stuff, but just lately, they're really, really pushing really, really high quality audio. So just be prepared for that. There's some great free stuff out there. Have a look out there. You know, if you've got any questions, always ask me or Phil. Send us a, a message. We have courses on this stuff, but, you know, if you just want a quick help, Post in OV community, we've got lots of great people. The panel members here are active there. They'll jump in and, and, and answer as well. So don't be, you know, thrown by all of this. We just want to give you a heads up so when it does happen, you're not surprised. And the second half, that's really for instructors that want to take that one course already and create a number of courses, increase the market, the reach, and maybe find a niche. You might have a course where you've got, you're competing against 60 other courses in your niche, but there's only two courses in Spanish. And Gisela brought up some inter interesting figures. You know, yes, you've got to find out, is there penetration? Can we get our courses in front of people of Mandarin languages? Is Udemy accessible in China? That's something we need probably need to answer at some point. But um, there's so much potential out there for those of us who have courses that, one course, and that's the thing for me, if, if I had a takeaway, it's this, that one course can become two, three, four, five courses, and if you're willing to partner with someone and release some of the commission you get from sales to them, you know, they can put your course in front of a lot of other people, and there's no real extra work for you. But one tip I did get, because we've actually got a client who offers translation services, and sometimes if you're not sure about the translator, you get a double translate. So one person translates, and then you get someone else to double-check the translation. Because if you don't know them, that's a, a really good safety mechanism. So you can then pay someone else to double-check the translation for you and, and tell you whether it makes sense. Obviously, Gisela's there. You know, she's an expert in uh, Spanish translation. She does it currently. So she might be a good person to speak to. If you're going to start thinking about maybe taking a course into Spanish, you can find her in the OV community. She's active there, or I'm sure there's ways to contact her. I'll put all contact details below in the community, uh, in the YouTube description when this goes live. So I hope you found it useful, and we look forward to you uh, joining us on another uh, OV community chat or one of the OV community member spotlights. And I know Eli is going to be coming up on the next one, so this is going to be good stuff. He's got some interesting stuff he wants to share with you guys. So thank you for watching, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon.